Hey everyone, welcome to the OS Training Podcast. I'm Steve Burge, and in this episode, I'm talking with Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine. This conversation came about after Studio Press, the leading theme framework for WordPress, was acquired by WP Engine. In the materials given out at the time of the acquisition, WP Engine said that it furthered their goal to become the leading DXP for WordPress. Immediately after that, I saw some conversations amongst WordPress developers, which basically said, WP Engine want to be a DX what? They weren't familiar with lots of the enterprise jargon, such as DXP, WCM, Gartner Magic Quadrants, and lots of the other terminology that people throw around when it comes to enterprise software. So in this episode, I talk with Jason about what it means for WP Engine and WordPress to move into the enterprise space. We explain some of that terminology, and Jason gives us really insightful thinking as to what it means for a company like WP Engine and a project like WordPress to face up against companies like Adobe and Cycle. Hey, and welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. So, I think I'll start off by saying a big congratulations. You were, or WP Engine were, on the Gartner Magic Quadrant that was released last week. Right, the Web Content Management uh, Magic Quadrant. Yeah, we're really excited about that, and uh, it's a great validation of our presence in the enterprise marketing space. And so we're really excited to see how that goes and how things transpire in the future, especially with these great companies like Adobe and Sitecore and Acquia and all these, you know, really well-known multi-decade, in some cases, companies. It's great for us. We're about eight years old to be already listed and on there. And, and it's great recognition of the work that, of course, we've already done. Yeah, I know lots of people in the WordPress community have stories of meeting you when you were getting started, going around WordCamps and giving away free plans and hustling around the community. And now, just a few years later, you're suddenly listed alongside Adobe, Sitecore, and those other massive enterprise-level companies. Yeah, and of course, we've grown really fast as well. You know, we, we just announced in January of 2018, passing $100 million in annual recurring revenue. And of course, we've continued to grow since then. So on the one hand, it's great to be listed. On the other hand, we deserve to be listed because we're in fact in that category in terms of our impact in the enterprise, our customer list, and even just our sheer size of things like revenue and employees and so forth. Okay. So it sounds like a rags to riches story from the outside, but you're saying the WP Engine truly feel like you belong up there now. You have the revenue, you have the customers, you have the, the install base to compete. Well, Gardner wouldn't put us on there if we shouldn't be on there because that's their reputation that would be at stake if they did. I wouldn't say rags to riches. I would say every startup, in a sense, starts with zero and then goes somewhere. And so if that were the case, then I suppose every startup starts as rags. <laughs> so this is a, a kind of unique space with the unique jargon and the enterprise terms that unless you spend quite a bit of time in there, you may not be familiar with. So for those people that might not be so familiar with it, what is a Gardner Magic Quadrant and what's quite so special about being included on it? Sure. So Gardner is in the elite tier of analysts, uh, meaning firms who employ people who try to understand markets. So there's Gar Gardner Magic Quadrants for all sorts of products and all sorts of markets and industries. And uh, the idea is an analyst can spend a lot of time. In fact, they spend a whole year in between each one of these 
not just looking at the product, not just getting things like product demos, not just getting the the clearly biased information that you can get from a vendor, right? Because a vendor is only going to say nice things about itself, right? Yeah. But actually what the analyst spends most of, the, of her or his time doing is calling real customers and also trying to look at data and other sorts of more objective information about the market and trying to reason, i.e. analyze, what is really going on? How is this market working? Who are all these vendors? And how are they playing? In which ways are they competitive? Which, say, feature categories are important? And again, not just because the vendors say so, because that's not a very good, uh, that's not a very good, it's certainly not unbiased opinion. What are the customers saying? And in particular, uh, most analysts are looking at enterprise customers, um, as opposed to, say, uh, consumers who might buy a Wix or a Squarespace or something like that. That's generally not the kind of thing that Gardner analyzes. Again, not because it, that market is, say, unimportant. That's not why. Simply because Gartner is making these reports, these analyst reports, for enterprises. That's their customer. And so enterprises will pay the Gartners of the world for these reports because that's so much terrific research that otherwise the company would have to do and probably do less, less well than an impartial analyst can do. And that helps companies select what vendors they are going to use for various projects. So that's is also why it's so important for us to be recognized by these analysts because our potential customers look at these reports to understand the market and make selections. So obviously if you're not on that report, then you're unlikely to be selected. Whereas if you are on the report, you're in the running. That said, there's no way to take a market, any market, and say, there's one chart that will tell you everything you possibly would ever need to know about this whole market. That's obviously not the case, especially here in, in website building and management, because there's so many different use cases. If I'm doing e-commerce, will I choose the same vendor as if I'm doing, if I'm a big media company? Will I choose the same vendor as if I'm, I've got uh, 1,000 different blogs? Will I choose the same company if I has simply have a homepage? And so obviously the answer is, yeah, there's probably different solutions that are right for these different use cases. So there's not going to be one chart that says all that. So there is the magic quadrant, which is Gartner's way of summarizing the entire market. But obviously, a summary is not how people select because that's too high level. So there's a, a secondary report in which Gartner lists in great detail, here's all these categories of either features or behaviors and or things like, uh, like your level of support, for example, and how these vendors uh, stack up in those particular ways. And that way, a given customer, a potential customer could look at that and say, all right, these seven things are important to me. Which are the couple of vendors that are really good at these things that I need for this project? And then they've already narrowed it down to a small list. And that helps them so much in, in then making the final decision. So the magic quadrant is almost like Gartner's own little marketing magic. I'd always thought of it as such a wonderful little marketing tool, just the name, the magic quadrant. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to read. I mean, my six-year-old could come and look at the chart and say, hey, that Adobe company is, is that the best company? Because they're in the top right corner. Right, but actually, right. it's literally just the marketing tip of a much deeper iceberg. There's a, a really detailed report of customer interviews and detailed analysis. Right. So the, the chart is misleading and how shallow it is to some extent. I think if we're just talking about the an analysts in general, like, you know, whether it's McKinsey or, you know, one of these consulting companies that are like the classic analysts that an enterprise would call in, or whether we're talking about the, the Gartners and Foresters and IDCs of the world, analysts love things like two by twos and little curves and things. They love it. 
And they're not wrong in that it could be really helpful to identify two important dimensions and graph things. The danger of summarization is that the details might be really important for a given decision. And the summarization might not adequately show the dimensions that are important for a certain decision. That's the danger. But there's a good side, which is when you have something very complicated, like a web content management market with a couple of dozen reasonable vendors that all have reasonable sets of customers and revenue and rationale why someone would pick them and dozens and dozens of different feature areas that they may be good or, or lacking in. If that's true, that's really complicated. And just throwing a massive table at someone and saying, that's all you get. Well, that's also difficult to <laughs> parse. And so I think you can be forgiven for trying to summarize and at the same time recognize that, okay, that's nice, but real de actual decisions are going to be made on a more detailed basis. And again, to Gartner's credit and the other analysts, they do provide those other things. And so I think it's, I think they can be forgiven for the, for the summarization that may be imperfect summarization as all summarizations really are, especially because they do provide the detail in a separate area, as you said. So can you take me through the process that led to you getting listed by Gartner? How long ago did you have to start to think about this and what kind of processes did you put in place in order to, to sweet talk Gartner and to get on their radar and to eventually get listed? So the, the right way to, so the right way to think about it is this. Gartner wants to make a very accurate report. It is in their even selfish interest to make that report as correct as possible. Because if they really are delivering the right information, and they really are helping their customers, i.e. the enterprises purchasing these, these, these tools. If that's all genuinely happening, that's how they'll continue to have long-term relationships with their customers. So starting with that basis of like they're trying to get to the truth. They don't want to put a company on the chart that shouldn't be there, for example. Maybe they're too small or they, their feature set isn't complete enough or they don't have the right vision about where the market is going or at least where their position in the market is. If they don't have actually a big footprint in those same enterprise customers, if that's not actually true, that's if that's only marketing, for example, if all those things are the case, they will not put it on the chart because then Gartner's reputation and, and the quality of Gartner's product goes down. And that's, you know, that's the worst. So what you can't do is quote unquote, buy your way on or argue your way in or sweet talk your way in. Like that's never going to happen because that ruins their product. And, and of course that's not useful. So think of it from exactly the opposite direction. If Gardner's never heard of you because of the hundreds of customers they talk to a year, nobody talks about you, no one mentioned you, then you're not on the quadrant. And it doesn't matter if you have some money or you want to talk to them a lot or you want to do a demo or you have marketing. None of that matters if the customers that are calling never talk about you, right? So it actually comes in the other direction. So Gardner started talking to us a couple of years ago saying, hey, we're starting to see you. What's going on? Maybe we should talk and so forth. And of course, we're interested in that as well. So we talk. So there was a multi-year, and I don't mean to say that we're talking all the time. It's not even once a month, right? It's less frequent than that. But we've been kind of got on their radar through the other direction because customers actually used it. And they, of course, saw that. That's their job is to see that such things. And then in this past year, it really did make sense for us to qualify for the chart. And again, on these dimensions that I've mentioned, things like, is there a substantial presence in the customer base? Is that actually true? Are there sufficient revenues? I'm actually not sure off the top of my head what the revenues are, but they're definitely in the tens of millions, if not, you know, hundred million sort of range type of revenue in the, in this particular area, in this, in, in this market. Because some of these companies like Adobe obviously uh, are in many markets. And so, but the revenue specifically for the marketing question. 
Also, again, most important thing, do the customers say, yeah, we use this? Do the customers say, I like this vendor, I respect this vendor, I pick this vendor under some conditions? You know, no vendor wins all deals, right? So, but the question is, are there customer, are sufficient number of customers that say, yeah, we have projects where this is the best fit and we use it and here's why and all this. If that's articulated by a bunch of customers, and then do the customers say, I hate this vendor? Yeah, I use them, but I never use them again. Oh, that's one thing. Or do they say, yeah, I love it. I, uh, in fact, I'm using it more now. Here are the kinds of projects that I use it on. You know, then that's, that's the right answer. And then again, that's all going to go in the analysis that says, you know, here's what this tool, what this company's doing. Here's what their customers are saying. You know, here's where their strengths are. Here's where they may be lacking certain things that other competitors have, which of course, every company, including the Adobe's that are in the far top right corner of the quadrant, which is the quote unquote best. Still, if you read the details, they say, ah, oh, but Adobe is actually, customers complain that it's too hard to integrate Adobe's products with each other. In other words, multiple products <laughs> all owned by Adobe because of course they bought them. Customers say it's too hard to integrate them with each other. And it's right there in the Gartner report, even though they're, in, they're the most top right you can get in the, in the summary. So that just goes to show, of course, all, you know, all vendors have strengths and weaknesses. And so in other words, you have to have enough strengths that it makes sense uh, and that a lot of customers are using it. So those are some of the, uh, some of the qualifications that you have to reach. So once Gartner sees that you're meeting a lot of those just in their own research, then they talk to you. And of course, we did have that sort of revenue. Again, we've, we've shared that, that number this year now and, and so forth. And so we qualified in all those ways. So it was, so therefore it was time to be on the chart. Um, because once you qualify to be on the chart, it's then a problem if you're not, because once again, Gartner's analysis would then be incomplete. If you're missing a big major player, then the analysis isn't complete. So once again, once you do qualify, then Gartner really wants to put you on the chart. And we're focused on Gartner on this call only because they did put it out and so it's, it's natural to do so. But you can cross apply everything we just said to the Foresters, the IDCs, the 451 research and so forth. So it's a process of a couple of years that you first pop up on Gartner's radar and then you have an ongoing conversation, you try and pass their benchmarks, their requirements, the, they track you. And then after a couple of years, because it's an annual report, right. then you find they qualify. Right. How does it compare to those others like Forrester? Is Gartner really the preeminent and most important of these analysts or are there others that you're tracking and talking with and trying to get listed on that are equally important? There's not just one important analyst. Forrester is definitely has a great um, web content management uh, product as well. IDC has just last year began looking at this market. So they simply, so it's a very well-respected uh, analyst firm, they just weren't looking at the web content management market until last year. But they have a really interesting report with different information, by the way. IDC often looks more at, or IDC's report is more about the whole market. Is it growing? In what areas? How big are these different vendors? They try to get into all that kind of stuff instead of just feature matching. Whereas the Gartners and Foresters really get into the help a potential customer make a vendor selection. And so they're very much into the the features, the strengths, the weaknesses of each firm. IDC was more of an industry port. Where's the whole industry going? Again, that's just a different focus. And then you have fo folks like 451 Research, which is much smaller than those other firms, but they specialize in hosting. And that specialization, of course, is valuable. And that gives them certain insights and whatnot. And so that's important too. So, you know, it's not just about who's biggest or whatever brand. At the end of the day, for a customer, what question are they asking? Like, I want to select a vendor for a project, for example, or they may be wondering how the market's going complete in general. So what question are they asking? They, they need to pick a report that helps answer that question. 
And you typically an enterprise will have a relationship with an analyst. In other words, for whatever reason, salesmanship or whatever, some enterprise has a large license with Gartner and therefore they use Gartner, not necessarily because Gartner is better than Forrester, quote unquote, but simply because that's who's, that's who has the, the vendor relationship. So it can be as simple as that. So we've been talking about the web content management, which is the analyst slang for, or their different acronym for CMS, essentially, I guess, for content management system. But as a company, even though you have qualified for the WCM content management quadrant, you've been talking a lot about another acronym, which is DXP or Digital Experience Platform. I mean, if you go to the WP Engine homepage, that's what you talk about a lot, lots of the white papers and the sales pages. Can you talk a little bit about what a DXP is and why WP Engine is so focused on it? Sure. So first of all, that acronym, WCM Web Content Management, that's a Gartner acronym. And it does mean more than CMS. So CMS being content management is stuff like content, authoring the content and so forth. Web content management is more broad. It can encompass things like e-commerce and uh, analytics and integrations and all this kind of stuff that's more than the CMS piece. Having said that, WCM is an acronym that Gartner invented. It's not the kind of thing a customer says. In other words, if you go to a VP of web uh, marketing at a mid-sized company and ask, and ask them questions about digital marketing and their website and so forth, they'll use words like website. They'll use words like digital marketing. They will never say WCM. My WCM is <laughs> says nobody. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's sort of a made up acronym. On the other hand, people do say this is my CMS. So that's an acronym that the normal people use. But again, that's actually the wrong sense because that's not, because the offering is broader than that. DXP is in fact the next acronym that real marketers use. They do say I'm looking for DXP. And if you look at other people from that uh, WCM, chart, the, again, the Adobe's, the Aquas, the Sitecores, you will see that they all say that they are DXP. And the reason for that is, again, because that's what customers are saying. The way a marketer today in 2018 defines the whole space of activity around digital marketing, and in particular with the website at its, at its hub, the way the digital marketer talks about that now at large is DXP. So we are all in recognition of the fact that the digital experience platform is what marketers say they want. And of course, you have to ask, well, what the heck is it? Which is a good question. And that's, again, there's a lot of aspects and different tools will focus on different aspects. For example, one of the things that's, that all marketers face is having to integrate with a ton of other marketing tools, the A-B tests and the chats system and the leads that go into Salesforce and the personalization system and the videos they make, and the tie-in to the newsletter that they do, and the social media stuff, and you know, it could go on and on, and we've all seen those massive charts by Scott Brinker of the millions of, <laughs> okay, 7,000 marketing tools companies and the dozens and dozens of categories of tools in there, right? And that's only getting broader in the number of categories and in the specialization in each category, and that's not gonna change, right? We're not gonna have fewer tools in the future or fewer ways to market online in the future. And so marketers have to integrate these various tools together. Our own website at WPEngine.com, we have 23 vendors integrated into our website, which I think is, is almost silly. It's so many, but of course it's normal. So that's a reality for a marketer. 
So therefore, integration as a concept is really important. Like CMS doesn't talk about integration. The, the acronym CMS means let's let's write some posts and publish them. Yeah, but what about the 23 things you have to integrate with it? That's difficult. It's important. It's mandatory. And therefore, a, a platform that's really going to help a marketer be successful online isn't just going to be a CMS. It's going to have to be good at integrations because that's the reality. And you can say a similar kind of story about some other categories like personalization, meaning not every single person at all time should see exactly the same content because that's actually the least optimal way to uh, interact with a customer. So personalization is another category. Data and analytics is another category. How designers, content writers, and outside agencies and firms interact that's important. How are these websites built? What are the developer tools involved in the creation, the workflow, the collaboration, the troubleshooting? What does that look like? That's a really important factor. And even just the basic things of running a site, like they're not basic in the sense of being easy. In fact, they're quite difficult, but they're the, maybe you might say fundamental things, security, performance, uptime, that sort of scale when you get a lot of traffic, those kind of things too. All these things are part of what DXP means. Those are, those are some specific things DXP means. Oh, I forgot e-commerce. That's a whole other thing, right? Anyway, there's more that I forgot, but you get the idea. There's all these categories of things. And of course, again, no one vendor is going to be aces at every single thing, obviously. And so, but that's what the world of DXP or the, the scope of DXP means and why it's not just the content, not just the CMS piece, although CMS is obviously a very important part of DXP as well. So can I ask how that would impact WP Engine particularly? So... If you have a marketer, you have a company coming to you and saying, hey, I want a DXP, and at least in the past, WP Engine has been known as a hosting company. How do you work with a company to put all those pieces together? Do you have an in-house staff? Do you work with agencies and partners? How does a hosting company like yourself fill such detailed requirements for a customer? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, we do work with agencies in fact, that's the primary way that we work with larger customers is via agencies. Because to your point, you know, each person that builds a project, on the one hand, nobody needs to reinvent something like A-B testing. On the other hand, no two websites are the same in terms of how do they work, what's important for the marketers, what tools are they going to use, how does your customer base work. I mean, even when there's two competitors in the same industry, they still build different websites, right? So there is a large amount of, I don't want to say uniqueness, but let's say specialization or customization that each site is going to inevitably have. And so very often an agency or an in-house marketing team is going to be directly involved in making that happen. And we are the platform part of that, the digital experience platform, meaning the technology, the support. And then we work hand in hand with a number of agencies, ever growing number of agencies to who are actually running the, you know, uh, building the project figuring out what are the right tools to use and how to put them together, actually putting together, working on it after it's been launched and all that sort of thing. So we see agencies as being partners. There are some people, or I should say some vendors who have their own internal, you might almost say internal agency teams or internal development teams. We don't do that. We always want to partner with agencies. We see, we, we are very clear on what our business is. And of course, agencies are clear on what their business is and, and we should both do our business and work together. Having said that, when you say that we're known as a hosting company, it is true that when you rewind the clock, you know, five years, it definitely says WordPress hosting and we're definitely a hosting company. And five years ago, we would have no business saying that we we're a DXP, right? Yeah. yeah. But of course, companies evolve, especially as they grow as quickly and as large as we have. 
obviously at, at say a hundred million in, in re revenue, we're not the same companies we were at 10 million in revenue or 1 million in revenue. Obviously something has evolved when that happens. And I, I feel like it's funny because lots of products have gone through this kind of transformation. WordPress itself. So WordPress itself used to be known as a blogging platform, insecure, unscalable, but popular among bloggers who don't have any money. But that's the reputation 10 years ago. Now, the problem is when the product actually changes, of course, there's a delay for the reputation to catch up because we all know uh, you can lose your reputation fast, but you build it slow. We all know that, right? So as, as WordPress has become not a blogging platform, but in fact, a whole web, a web application platform, and it's not just for bloggers, it's for all kinds of sites. It's not insecure. In fact, it's one of the most secure things that you can put online and so on and so forth, right? It's not just for small companies. Big companies use it. In fact, big companies use it more than any of those other products that are sitting there on the quadrant. In fact, here's a fun stat. WP Engine alone, just us and just our WordPress, we host more of the largest 200,000 domains. We host more of them than Adobe. We host more of them than Sitecore. We host more than Drupal. We host more than Automatic. And that's just the subset of WordPress that we're hosting. And we're already hosting more of those large sites, those large domains, than all those companies that are in that top right quadrant in the MQ. Now, that doesn't mean that, those, that, that we're you know, automatically better or something like this. It does mean that we are the right choice for actually a large number of sites, even larger than some of these other folks, we're the right tool for that job, whatever that job is. Sometimes it's the homepage, sometimes it's a campaign, sometimes it's a product site. Like there's all kinds of use cases, of course, but it just demonstrates in data that is the case. And that's all WordPress as well. So WordPress has, has had to sort of put up with the fact that it has this reputation for what it used to be instead of the reputation of what the data show it currently is running 31% of the web. And like even WP Engine alone is running more of the larger websites than those other, each of those other vendors. And so that's what it is today, but it takes time for the reputation to catch up. And so we're in the same place. We're on the magic quadrant. Clearly the analysts that spend their full-time job is to analyze the market and call customers. And they say, yep, here we are ready to go. DXP check plus. But, you know, yeah, sure, if you if you know us from five years ago, you say, what, that WordPress hosting company? I mean, I heard they're a good host, but DXP, what's that? And again, it's the same thing. It's not, you know, it's it's a little frustrating, right? Because we know what we are doing. Our customers know, the analysts know. And so, like, the truth is clear. And it, so it's a little frustrating to have to wait for, for general reputation to catch up. And on the other hand, that's life. <laughs> that's normal. So So it's okay. So if I come up to you at a conference, shake your hand, get your business card or for here you speak, maybe five years ago, you would have said, hey, I'm, I'm Jason, I'm from WP Engine, a managed WordPress hosting exactly. company. What would you say now? Yeah, we're WP Engine, we're the largest WordPress DXP. Ah, okay. So this conversation originally started when you purchased StudioPress, the big theme company, and there was a conversation in the post-status Slack that went by and lots of people looked at it and said, okay, Studio Press, I understand that. You brought it. You can make your WP Engine sites better, give people more options. But what on earth is a DXP? Right. And Studio Press, what's the thinking there? Can you explain that? How does Studio Press fit into your goal, which I think a lot of people maybe first realized at the time of the Studio Press acquisition? Certainly I did. Your goal as a company is to become the leading WordPress DXP? Yeah, so, so think of it this way. Until that acquisition, we thought of our platform as being everything around WordPress 
all the way up into the boundary of WordPress itself. The caching servers, the data moving everywhere, the security systems, the performance and uptime of all those systems, the the, uh, the products for data and analytics on top, uh, content analytics that ride on top of the things that are in WordPress, the integrations that we have into other vendors outside of WordPress, the developer tools that you use to make it. So all these products that we have today, we think of that as being around WordPress, like surrounding it like an orbit. But the theme, which Studio Press is the most, as you say, the most popular theme framework for WordPress, meaning Genesis, the theme framework, is the basis upon which many themes are built. So it's the most popular framework for doing that. And of course, there's many, many sites that are based on uh, themes in that framework. By also controlling the theme and the theme framework, we're able to take all the functionality and bring it inside of WordPress instead of stopping at the boundary of WordPress. So the way it helps us, to going back to your question, how does it make us a leading DXP, is, is in any way in which we want to take some functionality and make that work. And again, in these categories that we listed earlier, if we want to make those the best and make it really an amazing experience, you really want to go beyond the boundary of WordPress inside of WordPress because then you can do even more. Even more things can either be automated or easy or accessible or et cetera. And so it, it's an enabler. So StudioPress itself is not a quote unquote feature that you suddenly get, but rather it enables all these other areas that I had listed. It enables us to build a much better product for those things. There are a couple of smaller uh, ways in which actually it does directly help a DXP. For example, one of the areas that Gartner highlights as being important for a DXP is the ability to translate, i.e. internationalize a site. That it's easy to launch the site in 40 languages, and there's a lot of things that goes into it being easy. The technology has to make it easy. It has to be uh, some process for translation so that that's not too onerous and so forth. There needs to be a way to switch between those languages when you're a viewer. There's things that go into making a site quote-unquote good at being multilingual. StudioPress in particular has a plugin which supplies exactly that workflow. WordPress as a platform is very good at managing, being able to support multiple languages. And this plugin supports the workflow of actually doing the translations in that piece of it. So that together, that actually does result in a good solution in the way that Gartner might define good as a DXP in particular in the area of, of internationalization. So obviously we didn't purchase all of StudioPress for that one thing, but I just want to give an example of there are ways like that in which there is a particular feature that does specifically promote the idea of a DXP, but really the, the main strategic reason was the one I gave you first. So this was an enormous change for WP Engine in the fact it was your biggest acquisition so far, but I think I'm correct in saying that? Yes. And also it's a very fundamental change because it seems to have changed the way you think about what WP Engine does, you've moved from simply being the hosting layer or a kind of an integrator working with agencies, you're actually taking another step forward inside the boundaries of WordPress itself. That's right. Now, keep in mind, most of our customers do not use StudioPress. So we will not leave them you know, behind. So just because we can make a more integrated experience with the theme system that we now control, that does not mean that features, for example, would only be available to those customers because we just have tens and tens of thousands of customers who do not use uh, the Studio Press products and we, we, of course, need them to have a great experience. So it's not so much that we'll only put features in there, but rather that we can. And uh, another thing that we, that we see is that the more sophisticated WordPress agencies, they uh, disproportionately use StudioPress. 
And so for a lot of our partners who are building the more complex sites, they do use that more and therefore putting more complex features and capabilities in there makes sense. So when you zoom out in the in the broad scheme, we're not leaving anyone behind, but when you zoom into the more complex sites with the, the larger agencies, then it makes more sense of how that would be helpful. I didn't realize that. So Studio Press really directly ties back into that goal because it has a very heavy agency user base. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I've got a final couple of questions for you. I really appreciate you being so candid with your answers. Big question. Your goal was to be the leading DXP for WordPress. Do you feel like you're there? Do you feel like WP Engine is there now? Well, I would answer yes and no, but I'll, I'll tell you why. So that's not, so it doesn't, it's not wishy-washy. When you look at the data, such as how many of the largest sites in the world, so you take the top 1 million domains in the world or the top 100,000 domains in the world and ask, where are they? What vendor runs their site? Are they just naked on Amazon? Are they using WP Engine? Are they using Adobe? Are they using other WordPress competitors? What is going on? When you look at that, WP Engine runs more of those than anyone else, more than automatic, even in the WordPress space, more than our direct, our kind of traditional direct competitors, and more than the folks that are listed in that top right corner of the Gartner Magic Quadrant. In that sense, then, we could say, yes, we are the leading DXP in WordPress. In fact, we're a leading DXP, period, simply because we're a DXP and we host a bunch of sites, at least as many as, as other folks who are also recognized as being leaders. And that's, that is the way I can confidently say with data, yes, we are a leader in DXP generally and certainly the leader in WordPress DXP. Now, having said that, we feel like we're on the very leading edge of what's going to happen with DXP in the next five or 10 years. Let me take personalization as an example. Really important trend. You can't talk to a marketer for five minutes without them talking about personalization. It's on everyone's minds. Everyone's doing it and so forth. Also, almost no one's any good at it at all. Most sites still don't do anything. The most sites do nothing at all for personalization, even though it's the topic du jour. Even the companies like Netflix. I go to Netflix and it, t it tells me what I should watch next. And usually I don't want to watch any of those things. That means it's not working. I go to Amazon and I buy one thing once that's a gift. And now Amazon wants me to buy all kinds of weird crap that I don't actually want. And these companies like Amazon and Netflix, especially Amazon, they have all the smart people. They have all the algorithms. They have all the computers. Like if all the AI and machine learning and computation and personalization, all that stuff, they have all that and they are spending billions of dollars a year with a B in order to make that as good as possible because it increases conversions if you're better at it. And yet they're still not that good at it. And that's the very best in the whole world. So what I would say is in personalization, super important. And even the best in the world are not that good at it. And of course, the 99% of us definitely are just getting started in what that can mean. So to say, to look at that and then declare, yeah, we're, we're really leading, I would say, oh my God, nobody is. This is a new, really important field and everyone's figuring this out right now. There's a ton of vendors there, et cetera. So I would say that's a great example of how, of course, no one can declare victory there and we're excited to go join that thing. So you look at the numbers, yeah, we're leading in terms of raw numbers, but when you look at product and product strategy and the market and the opportunities there, Oh my God, there's so much to do. And so of course we're not done. <laughs> of course, like we're, of course we're not going to be done maybe ever, but certainly, you know, there's, there's so much to go do. And so in, that's, then the answer is no, because there's, because we feel like, no, we don't have that all wired. We have some things 
really well, like security and performance, things like this. But there's other areas like personalization, analytics, data, even things like integrations where, boy, there's so much to do. How could you possibly say case closed? Oh, so you've done a wonderful job of answering what was going to be my final question, which was what comes next. It sounds as if that goal of becoming a leading DXP or leading WordPress DXP is just going to evolve in the same direction. It sounds as if the DXP direction is the one in which you see enormous opportunities and it may take WP Engine years and years to unravel all the different threads of the opportunity. Yeah, and, and our competitors as well. Some of them might are more advanced on one topic and haven't started on another topic. And we are in a different position. So some of those folks on the Magic Quadrant still are not in the cloud. You still have to host it all yourself. In 2018, that's pretty ridiculous. On the other hand, we haven't even gotten started with a personalization product yet, even though we know it's really important and that we will. So in that sense, we're behind. And Adobe, for example, has a great personalization product that a lot of people use. So as usual, of course, there's so many areas, so many vendors, everyone's going to have strengths and weaknesses. And therefore, customers ultimately will have to pick what is the right tool for this job, this job, this job. And the answer, of course, will vary for the different jobs, and that's fine. And so we know where we're strong now, and we win customers today. Again, often more customers in number than many of the other folks today because there's so many jobs to do in which we're already the right choice, already the leader for that job. And then there's all these other jobs where, you know, we're looking forward to being the right choice and we know we have to go work on that. And, you know, every other vendor will tell you the same thing about their, their respective strengths and areas that they need to, uh, and that they need to grow in. And so we're just clear on what those are for us and, and uh, excited to do it. So all these WordPress developers that heard the phrase DXP for the first time when the StudioPress acquisition was launched are probably going to be hearing that phrase many, many more times over the next few years from WP Engine and from others in the WordPress space. That's true. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much indeed, Jason. Where can people keep up with you? I know you have a great blog. You're active on Twitter. Where can people keep up with you and what WP Engine are doing? Sure. So, of course, WPEngine.com is the website, and we have a blog there, so you can keep up with WP Engine news there. We also have Torque.io, or TorqueMag.io, which is our WordPress news and views site, and also Velocitize, which is our agency-oriented periodical. So, check all those out, depending on if those particular areas are interesting, then, then the content will be tuned for you. Me, personally, I am A Smart Bear, letter A Smart Bear. So, that's my Twitter handle. And the blog is asmartbear.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much indeed, Jason. Thank you.